0: Have we found the Chilazin? Is it the Murex Trunculus? Or is that an ancient spell used to help pack up luggage? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow.
1: (music) Hi, and welcome to another episode of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. This episode is kindly sponsored by the Institute of Scientific Facts and Knowledge, helping us do research on the Murex since yesterday. So before we get into the candidate for the Chilazon, let's first explain what the Chilazon is. So the Chilazon is a fish known to the Jewish tradition, which was used to produce a dye known as the Tcheles, which is supposed to be on our titus. Now everybody listening, or most of the people listening, will probably look at their titus and go, well, my tittus are all white. I don't see any Tcheles color on the tittus." And no, Tcheles color is not white, Tcheles is blue. Most of us do not have blue strings on our tzitzes. The reason, as we'll see, is because we don't know how to produce the dye. For thousands of years in our history, we have lost the chilazon. Recently, there have been attempts to find the chilazon and reintroduce the color into the Jewish world. If you look around you, you will sometimes notice there are people who do have this blue string, this trela string in their tzitzes. It is because they they have found the chilazon and figure out a way to produce the long-lost mitzvah of T'cheles.
0: So the Khilazon, the sea creature that produces T'cheles, has been lost since at least 750 in the Common Era. We know this because there are Midrashim, specifically the Tantchuma, which was written at that time, which mentions that the Khilazon we do not have the Khilazan anymore, we don't have T'cheles anymore. Throughout the Geonim, Rishonim, and even the early Achronim, we really have no evidence of any attempt to rediscover the Khilazon. The first attempt came around the 1880s, when the Redzin Rebbe attempted to rediscover the Chilazan. After much research, he concluded that it's the common cuttlefish, is the Chilazan, and that is used primarily by his chassidim and some brestilvers, but in general, it was uh, not accepted. Primarily for two reasons. The first one being that the cuttlefish was never lost from our tradition. We always had a cuttlefish around, and nobody said that's the Chilazan. Uh, the second reason is that the way to produce treles from the cuttlefish was by mixing in certain minerals, which would turn pretty much any blood from any animal uh, the same color of blue.
1: The next major step in uncovering the chelazan came from Rav Yitzchak Herzog, the chief rabbi of Eretz in the early 1900s. Now, he wrote in 1913 a doctoral thesis named Hebrew Porf- porphyrology, which is the study of purple, or Hebrew, the Hebrew study of purple. And he named two snails, as likely candidates for the missing chilazone, the janthina, and the trunculus, the hexaplus trunculus, to be exact, to the specific species. Now, proponents and critics each claim that Herzog supported one more than the other. However, he wasn't able to produce a blue from either one, and therefore he wasn't able to reach a conclusive conclusion. Because if you can't produce the
0: purple, that's the missing dye, the blue yeah right so then the blue sorry the blue lucky for him in 1980 professor Otto elsner discovered that when the dye is in a reduced state which is a prerequisite for dyeing wool exposure to ultraviolet light will transform the blue purple colorant to unadulterated blue in english that means if you allow sunlight in it'll turn the purple a lighter shade into a perfect blue
1: now this perfect blue as we'll see is what the rishonim used to describe the color of trelas. now in 1985, five years later, five years later, Rev. Elio, Taf- Elio Tafgar became the first Rav to officially use the Murex Trunculus, produced by the Murex Trunculus, or later switched his name to the Hexaplus Trunculus. He then later co-founded the Psiltralis Institute, which, as I understand, produces a lot of the tits found today that is made by this type of blue. Now, there are other companies that produce it. They were the first, they're the most famous, you probably heard of them,
0: they're the ones who put out all the pamphlets,
1: they produced the trellas.
0: For this episode, we're, go- we're going to be going through the main proofs that the Murex was the Chilazon used to produce the treles. Um, and we're going to be discussing exactly why people hold that this is correct, and what some of the questions on this species are. The first and perhaps strongest argument brought to support the Murex Trunculus being the trellas, the Chilazon, is that we have... Archaeological evidence of ancient dye industries using this exact snail to produce colors in the exact locations that the Gemara describes the Chilazon as being. So the Gemara is going to tell us where the Chilazon are. We're going to look at the Murex, see where the Murex is found as a dye industry. And if they match up, that seems to be a strong indication that the Murex was the Chilazon. So, the main source for the location of the Chilazon is a Gemara in Shabbos, which is on Chavvav Amid Aleph. And it tells us that the dying industries for the Chilazon were in Arteserel between Tsor, which is Tyre, and Haifa.
1: Now, another landmark Gemara that plants the Chilazon in that area is a Gemara in, in Megillah, Dafvav Amid Aleph, uh, where Zvulun is complaining that his land, his portion of Arteserel, was worthless. It didn't have all the nice qualities found in all the other portions for the other Shvatim, the other tribes. And what Hashem tells him is that, don't worry, you have the Chilazon, and everybody needs the Chilazon, and Rashi says for the Tcheles, to produce the Tcheles. Now, that portion of Zvulan is in that area between Tor and Haifa along the coast. Again, Zvulan al-Chaif Hayam. Zvulan was on the beach near the sea, and they would have been the ones to be able to trap the Chilazon and use it to sell to the rest
0: of Klaz now, Pliny, who's an ancient historian who lived right around the turn of the millennium, the first millennium, he lived in 25 CE. So this is a quote from his uh, from his book, his history book. In Asia, the best purple is that of Tyre. Now, Tyre, again, is Tsur. Um, here's another quote. We next come to the city of Tyre. At the present day, all her fame is confined to the production of the murex and the purple. So here we clearly see that this city of Tyre which is where the Gemara tells the Khilazon is found, was known for the dye that was produced from the Murex snail. Now, we also know that huge mounds of Murex shells have been found along the coast of northern Israel and Tyre in Lebanon. So again, this is matching the location of the chilazon found in the Gemara. Haifa, which was the other location, is also known for its ancient dye works, and evidence of dye production has been found in Tel Shikmona which is adjacent to Haifa, as well as many other coastal cities in northern Israel. So the archaeological evidence is very clear that there was murex production in the exact places that the Gemara mentioned the chilazon production. Now, now that the...
1: murix was used to produce dye, and we're going to get more into that dye and how it matches other
0: parts of the Gemara, other criteria of the Gemara regarding chilazon. Right. Now one other location that's mentioned, which is mentioned in a Pasek in Yecheskel, which has trelas vargamon. Trelas again is this blue color produced by the chilazon. May I, Elisha, haya michasech. From Elisha was it covered you? So Elisha is either translated as Italy by the targum, um, while the medrash implies it might be Cyprus. But both Cyprus and Italy, no matter what it meant, both have archaeological evidence of major Myriads dining centers. So again, this this um, implying that treles was produced in either Italy or Cyprus, well, both those places would match the Murex being the Chilazon because the Murex was a major dying center in those areas. Now, another fascinating connection between the Murex and the Chilazon
1: is the timeline of when we lost the Chilazon. So let's look at the sources for when we lost the Chilazon. So the Gemara and Menachis on Dathmem Gimel Amidale, 43a implies already by the late Amarayim period, which is around 450 of the Common Era, the Treles was rare, the Gemara there implies that it was astonishing that somebody had treles. So you see it already was waning. Okay. Now, we know the treles was completely lost since at least 750 of the Common Era. That's from the Tanchuma and Medesh at the end of Shalach. Clearly, explicitly by the Geonim, which again is still in that period, it was lost. Rev. Sar Shalom says it was lost. Rev. Achai who was in the 8th century, didn't bring the laws of treles at all. Because it wasn't relevant, Rav Shmuel bar in his work on tzitzis called Perik Dinei we have a tra- he says as follows, we have a tradition that they would dye the teiles with the blood of a known sea creature called the Chilazon, which we don't have. So again, he's already describing it in vague terms because it's clearly not something he's talking about that everybody would know what it is because it was lost. The Rishinim are also very clear that they didn't have it. The Rif, the Rambam, and the Ben Rambam all say it was lost. So, clearly, from the end of the Gemara period, at least strongly in the Goonic period, around the 700s, 800s, this fish was gone.
0: You call it a fish, but... Sorry, the this sea creature, creature the sea was creature completely was gone completely. and wasn't recovered through the period of the Rishinim. So, how does that match with the Murex history? Well, we have very specific Roman decrees against using dyes coming from the Murex. So, for example, Julius Caesar and Nero who lived in 50 BCE and Nero lived in 50 CE, common era, they both passed decrees forbidding the use of Murex-produced Tyrian purple. 200 years later, the emperor Diocletianus again forbade the use of the Murex purple. And again, 100 years later, during the rule of Constant- Constantius-, Constantius Gallus, he lived in 351, or he ruled from 351 to 354. So the legal dying of purple from Tyre, in other words, the Murex dies, were punishable by torture, as told by historians. They say the method of torture was you had to listen to uh, one of the presentations from the Psiltrelus Institute. <laughs> and finally, the Roman Emperor Theodosius II, who, lived, who ruled from 424 CE, um, which was around the end of the Gemara period. Um, so he also put out a ban, and we actually have the exact quote of his ban. We have the ban right here. Ahem. Hear ye, hear ye. All persons of whatever gender, rank, skill, profession, or family shall abstain from the possession of that kind of material which is dedicated only to the emperor and to his household. Nor shall any person at his home weave or make silk, cloaks, or tunics which have been colored with purple dye and woven with no admixture of anything else. Men shall bring forth from their homes and deliver the tunics and cloaks that are dyed in all parts of their texture with the blood of the purple shellfish. Obviously, the Murex, Trunculus. No threads dyed with purple dye shall be interwoven, etc., etc. Now, a couple of things you might have noticed from all these bands. First of all, the mention of purple, Tyrian purple. No mention of blue has been mentioned. The assumption is that the murex, because we know it is able to create blue, um, was used also to create blue. And although these bands are mentioning purple and not blue, the assumption is that they're applying to both. Now, I mean, purple was just the way they were describing
1: the production of the fish, which was called the purple seafi- or the purple shellfish,
0: the purple dye, because it primarily did produce a reddish to more violet-tinged purple. Now, here we have seemingly a very consistent timeline. We have the chilazon the source of the treles uh, becoming missing at around the same points as the, the uh, around the same points, not exactly, as the decrees coming out banning the use of, at least for non, uh, non-royalty, non the use of these purple dyes. Now this ban
1: existed for the next 800 years at least because the Ramban, who lived at the end of the 12th century, to this decree, which didn't allow the use of treles Excluding for royalty, meaning only royalty was allowed to use it. And he writes there in in, in Shemais the treles, even today, no one will dare wear it except for the non-Jewish king. So you see the Ramban, and he's referencing treles. So that is another support for the idea that even though the bands mentioned purple, it covered this blue-colored treles. And he said that even today, nobody will wear it outside of the kings. Why? Because there was this ban on non-royalty using the murex fish to produce any colors. And since the murex fish is probably the Chilazon,
0: that's why the Ramban said we don't have the treles. Right. And here's a quote from the historian Kassinger. He writes, and I quote, By the ninth century, the only purple dye works left were in Constantinople, and those were controlled by the Byzantine emperor. When Constantinople fell to the Ottoman Turks in 1450, the secret of dyeing purple with sea snails was lost. So here we have a very plausible explanation as to what happened to the Chilazim. Well, it, its use was banned for any non-royalty. And being as such, it slowly disappeared.
1: Maybe there were Jews who were wearing telas in hiding or only occasionally in the morning to make brachas. But you can see how throughout that period, the Chilazim would slowly stop
0: being produced. By the Jews, and the treles would slowly become lost. Right, so so far we have the location mentioned of the Chilazon in the Gemara seems to match that of the Murex Tranculus in archaeological records, and we have the disappearance of the Chilazon seems to match the ban on the Murex. Now third, we're going to go to a linguistic proof, which is that historically the Murex shellfish was called perfura and was written about extensively by Pliny the Elder, again, that historian we mentioned, Aristotle, famous philosopher, etc. In fact, the name for murex remains perfora in several languages, such as Greek, German, Italian. Now, within Jewish sources, the term
1: perfora began to be used as a term for royal garments, because again, historically, the murex shellfish, was used to produce the dye that was made for royal garments. So and have,
0: exclusively royal garments from the turn from of the From all millennium. the bands, right? right? So you have
1: the, the Medrash and Esarabah, Um That's in uh, uh, Parsha 10, uh, Medrash 12. And Mordechai went out from before the king in royal vestments, royal garments, of Tcheles and Chor. Rav said, Mordechai was the king of the Jews, just as a Jew wears porphyrin. A king,
0: just as a king wears perform. sorry, just
1: as a king wears perforin, so do Mordecai wear performance So again, perforin is
0: used to describe what Mordecai was wearing, and he was wearing royal garments of treles. Which right, is... we, have, we have similar sources in Esther uh 710, Shemais Rabba, thirty 38.8, and Beratius Rabb 75.4, and I'm sure there's more if you just uh, use, like, Safari to search the word perfora in the Midrashim, you'll come up with numerous cases where Chazal seem to use perfora as referencing royal garments. Now, right, it doesn't always reference in teles, but what we assume happened is that the term perfora
1: started out as a particular color, Right, the purple used in the royal garment, then became a borrowed term for all, all royal garments, including treles. So that's why you see when you go through the madrashim, you'll see the term porphora used as royal garments, but not necessarily always treles. It could be argaman, it could be treles, it could be a different color, but they were royal garments from that usage. So again, the muric shellfish was called porphyra, The madras, when referencing royal garments, including, including treles, calls it porphyrin, or a, a different term of porphora. So you see the connection between the Mureks and the dye that was
0: familiar to Ghazal when they were referencing Tcheles, Argaman, and their royal clothing. And perhaps stronger, we actually find some Achrainim from the early 17th century through the early 20th century who define Chilazin explicitly as Perfora. For example, the Chivas who lived in the, late se- or the mid-17th century, writes, I have written that the blood of the Chilazin with which Tcheles is dyed is not blue, rather the color Perfor that is made from the fish called the fish." which is, seems to be a reference to the muric York Rev. Ram Harifa, in his Sefer Shiltei Geburim, he lived in 1612, so he writes, in Greek, it is a sea creature called Perfora, which is a chilazan that chiles is died with. And lastly, Rev. Shimshan Rafal Hirsch, Zatzal, in his commentary to Devarim 3319, also translates chilazan as perperschnek. <laughs> the snail, Which um, means purple snail in German and Yiddish. Now, we mentioned the Chobiziar
1: actually... He was so convinced that this was the term achilazan, that the treles is not a blue, it's actually a porphyr which is a purple. He was so convinced that this porphyr was chilazon, the perfora being this muric snail, that since the perfora did not produce, or in his opinion, didn't produce a blue, because again, it was only discovered later that it could be turned into a blue, that he thought that was the treles. No. Now, the Septuagint, which is the targum Shivim, so Chazal... Uh, were forced by the Greeks to translate the Torah into Greek. And we have actually uncovered um, some ancient texts from the ancient Septuagint. Um, Now, in those, it actually, in several places where it's supposed to use the term treles, it's translated into the Greek term alloporphyrin, or all-pure porphyra. So again, another example of porphyra being used synonymously with treles. Now, since porphyra in ancient times was the murex, that's how they referenced it, we have another strong link between the murex and the coloring fish used in our treles.
0: The final proof for the murex being the chelazan is Gmar gemar on membez Amadbez, which describes a test to determine whether the treles that you have in front of you, the blue colored strings you have in front of you, is genuine treles coming from a chelazan or coming from a fake cheap source called the Kala Ilan. Now this is important because the Sefta
1: and Masechot Tzitzis both, th- both say that the only type of Tcheles color that is kosher for Tzitzis is the one coming from the Chilazon. So fake Tcheles
0: colors would not be kosher for the Tzitzis. So just a brief introduction, the word Kala Ilan refers to a specific blue dye that was used in the times of Chazal. Again, it was a cheap substitute for the txeles. Um Indigo, which is the color of the Kala Ilan, was produced primarily from two plants. Uh, one was called indigo, obviously because of the color produced, and the other was called woad, that's W-O-A-D. Um, the word indigo actually comes from the Greek word indikan, which means blue dye from India, and that is because the indigo uh, color produced from the indigo plant was transported in from India. In Rabba 61b says that Hashem will punish anyone who uses khalilan, this indigo color, and pretends it was trelas. Now, this implies that it was only Hashem who was able to discern the two, uh, the kalilan from the trelas, which implies, or pretty much says explicitly, that they were the exact same color. So now, if we can show how the dye coming from the Murex is exactly the same color as the color of indigo, then we have another source that the Murex could have been the Chilazan, because the Chilazan is the same color as indigo, and the Murex is the same color as indigo. And in fact, it's even stronger because you can make an argument that since Murex was clearly around back then, if the Murex was not used as the Tchelas of Tzitzis, and yet produce a blue color that was identical to indigo, then we have three sources of this blue color. We have the real Tchelas, we have the Murex, and we have the indigo. Now, having three identical colors is obviously a problem
1: because the Gemara seems to suggest there are only two colors. There's Kelilan or Trelas. In fact, one of the lines in the Gemara over there is, well, if it's not Lon and it's not Trelas, which one could it possibly be? Which implies there are only two options, Lon or Trelas. Therefore, since the Muric makes blue, which is identical in color to indigo, in fact, it's also identically chemically to indigo, then it has to be the Chilazon
0: because there's only Chilazon, the Trelas, or the kelly the lan Right, on, on the exact chemical, the, the, the molecular color of the plant indigo is the exact same molecules as the color produced by the Murex dye. Exactly the same. It's C16H10N202, in case anybody cared. Um, now, it's remarkable that this dye is so chemically similar to kelly lan Man cannot differentiate between the two, because they're exact same chemically, which means the only person who could differentiate between the two is Hashem, which matches the Medrash. Now, one other aspect which matches is that Gemara Menachah says, so how do we figure out if a person is wearing real t'chelas or Kalilan? And, it, and it, uh, it suggests a certain test where you would soak it in 40-year-old urine, uh, whatever it is, um, whatever the test was, the real t'chelas won't fade, and the Kalilan, the fake t'chelas, will fade. Now, interestingly, Pliny the Elder, again, this historian, which we keep on referencing because he has a, a very nice chapter on the Murex production. So here's a quote from him. We know, this is a quote, that from plants are extracted admirable colors for dyeing. In other words, we can, from plants, we can produce the same colors as from other things, aka the Kali Lung. The people of Gaul beyond the Alps produced the Tyrian colors, the Conchiliated, and all other hues by the agency of plants alone though one, gr- one great fault in them is that they wash out. Now, he's contrasting these plants to the muric shellfish, that the dyes
1: produced by murics, although they can be replicated by plants, they all wash out. Now, if you weren't already convinced that the chelazon is the famed muric trunculus, there's a medrash in Dvarim Rabba, in Parshish Kisavai, that talks about how the clothing of Bnei Israel didn't wear out during their sojourn in the in the desert and the medrash says that just like the chilazon whose malbush or its its clothing grows with it so too with b'nei'sral their clothing grew with it now rashi brings this medrash on the pasuk that their clothing didn't wear out in dvarim and he says just like the snail so again the medrash says chilazon rashi is just like the snail who as we know live in shell and the shell grows with the snail now as we all know the murix is a snail so that's another positive and tremendous identification of the Mureks as the
0: Chilazon. And it's not just the Medrash and Rashi which describe it as being a snail. There's also Mishnah and Kalim which, describe in describing a certain utensil, um, in differentiating between certain halachos, identifies one as having a Chilazon shape at the end of it. And the Ram says, what is this Chilazon shape? It's a Ka'in Tzedef. And a Tzedef is a snail. So clearly the Ramah is defining Chilazon as snail. Now the Aruch also, Aruch was a
1: a 11th century Jewish dictionary, Big Tamachacham, and he's used by the Rishonim authoritatively. And he, under his entry for Chilazon, draws a picture of a shell, of a snail, and he says it's a snail. He says explicitly the Chilazon is a snail. So if we're looking for a snail,
0: the Murex is a snail. So just to summarize what we find to be the biggest proofs that the Murex is the Chilazon, is we have ancient murex dye factories in all the places that Chazal tell us the Chilazan should be found. We have it in Italy and Cyprus, all along the uh, shorelines from Tzor to Haifa. The Chilazan seems to have gone out of use around the same times as the Roman decrees banned the use of the murex Trunculus. Additionally, the word perfora, which is the word for the murex Trunculus, is used by Chazal in places of trellas garments, or royal garments, but including trellas as perfora which is a little bit more direct. The dye that is produced by the murex and the chilazon are both said to be identical to indigo, or the murex is identical to indigo, and don't wash out as easily. And lastly, the chilazon seems to be described by the Madrashim and the rishonim as a snail. Now, in order to suggest that the Murex is not the Chelauson at this point, it would seem you would have to say
1: there is another fish or another sea creature that produces treles that is found in the same areas, that is known by the non-Jews because they have treles. You know, there's a lot of psukim that mentions the non-Jewish kings with treles. And yet, somehow, it's not mentioned in any of the ancient writings. There's no record of it archaeologically. And Chazal weren't worried about the Murex being identified or being confused with the Chilazon. Or substituted for the, the substituted chilazon. chilazon. for the Titus because they only say, well, it's either indigo or Chilazon. Well, if the Murex isn't Chilazon, what about the Murex? It could either be indigo, the Murex, or the Chilazon. So it seems highly unlikely that the Chilazon is anything but the Murex Trunculus. I'm, Avi Cohen, I'm Cohen. And this has been a non-Jewish Thought Flow. See, what we have provided you till now has been a misrepresentation of history, a selected, selective representation of history, and a misreading and selective presentation of sources. You see, we are about to give you a lot more info, so you, the listener, can give a much more informed and intellectual decision about if
0: the Murek Stronglist is really the Chilazon or not. So let's start with a basic history lesson as to the colors used during this time. What we've managed to prove is that the murex trunkless was clearly used in the dying industries at this time in that location. But what has not been sufficiently proven is that the murex trunkless was used to dye blue at that time. In fact, one can make a strong argument, scientifically, that the murex trunculus
1: cannot produce a blue. It factually cannot produce a blue. Avi, how can you say it can't produce a blue? We clearly see it does produce blue. Alright, so what Mutti's referencing is that in 1985, the Otto Elsner accidentally, or maybe even intentionally, there's actually different gear size and how it happened, exposed it to the sun, and the sun, the chemical reaction from the sun rays hitting the dye, is what allowed it to take on that pure blue color. Now we know, and we'll mention this later, that the trellis was a pure blue color. Now, if anybody's paying close attention, they would say, well, wait a minute, why did it take until 1985 to figure out how to produce a blue, Why did Rev Herzog fail at producing a blue when he literally spent his life studying this snail? And I'll tell you why. It's because in the ancient times, it most probably couldn't produce a blue. And as we'll see in a second, there's no record it ever did produce a blue. So what's the argument that it can't produce a blue? So it's actually very simple. Basically, in order to make this dye, you have to have the dye completely covered. It cannot be exposed to the air. So how do you expose it to the sun? If you can't expose it to the air, but you want to expose it to sun rays, you have to use glass, which is what they use. They put it in glass containers and leave the glass containers outside, and those glass containers get exposed to the sun. Now, back in ancient times, they didn't have pure glass containers, not in the times where the murex was producing dyes in ancient Israel. In fact, they used uh, a pottery or klicheres, which is why you find pottery shards with the dye in them, or with remnants of the dye in them at all of these sites. So there was no way to produce a pure blue using the ancient dyeing method. Now, there have been some ple- people who have made a pure blue using other chemicals, but those are modern chemicals. Now, this whole discussion can be found if you want to look it up you can go on biblical archaeological research or dot or org, and there's a whole section called the great trellis debate which is a conversation between professor zvi koren and professor sturman from the psil trellis institute where professor zvi koren argues that you can never have produced a pure blue from the murex which is why he held that trellis is not pure blue Pure blue. he held the murex did produce trellis but trellis is not pure blue now us who follow Chazal, know that Chalas is pure blue. And if the murics couldn't produce it, it becomes a much weaker candidate for the Chalazan. Now, there are the others who claim, no, there is a way to produce a blue. You can look it up. You can decide for yourself if it's likely. But at the very least, there's a strong argument that it factually could not produce a blue. And now we're going to see, historically, it never
0: did produce a blue. So we've already mentioned Pliny, who was a historian at the time, mentioning the dying Done with the murex. He mentions different shades of purple, red, and violet that come out of the murex, but he never mentions blue. Additionally, we saw that the decrees from the Roman emperors against using murex all said the word purple in it. Additionally, Josephus in Antiquities three seven and Philo in On the Life of Moses two eighteen a fascinating work both write in describing the um, the different colors used by the Jews. They say that the purple signified the sea. Why? Because that color is dyed by the blood of a sea shellfish. Namely, the murex trunculus was used to dye the purple. The blue is fit to signify the air. They never mention that the blue is produced by that same sea shellfish. Now, this isn't very complicated. Just do a basic search of murex trunculus and see what it was used in antiquity to dye. And everything that'll show up will be tear purple. The only thing mentioning blue will be psiltrélis people who have a clear agenda of trying to push the murex as the chilazin now tyrian purple is named tyrian purple because Tyre,
1: where the main industry of murex shells made purple it's not called tyrian
0: blue it's called tyrian purple right, Tyre, you may remember from that gemara which mentioned that the chilazin is found in Sore, um and this is why they attempt to make this connection and but- if if you do a search sorry on any
1: um uh scholarly website and just type in murex all the titles will be murex and the art of purple dying murex and tyrian purple murex the purple shellfish there will not be a mention of blue there will be a mention of bluish purples like violets or 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 other colors that are she's real but there will never be any mention with the color blue Now you will
0: find one or two pictures of of a thread here that's blue or one garment that might have looked blue in a certain light uh first of all most of those are actually purple and not pure blue Additionally, a purple garment left outside for 2,000 years might end up looking a little more blue than it should. Now, again, you might not believe what we're saying. You can go, again, on
1: biblical archaeological research, go through the articles describing if murex was ever used or can ever be used or was ever used, and you'll see, I think, pretty convincingly that A, murex couldn't have produced blue, and B, it certainly was not used to produce blue. It's unquestionable that it was not used primarily or even in a large amount for blue, but I think you will find that there's no evidence it was ever used to produce any blue whatsoever.
0: So it seems clear that the Murex produced only, exclusively, purple in antiquities. That is obviously a problem to say that the Murex produced the blue if it didn't produce blue. But even if you want to say it did produce blue and produce purple, because it clearly produced purple, but even if you want to say it produced both, now we have an even more basic problem which is, if the Chilazon, which is, we're identifying as the Murex, produced both Tyrian purple and this Trelas color, why does the Gemara never link the two? In other words, if the Murex produced blue, again, assuming it could produce a
1: blue, if that Murex produced blue is the Trelas, we have a basic problem. The Gemara in Megillah, Vava Medalef, which is Hashem's telling to Zvulon, hey, don't worry about your portion, you have the Chilazon. And it says, everybody will need you for the Chalazan. Rashi over there says, everybody will need you for the Chalazan because of its Tcheles. Also, the Medrash Lechach also says Tcheles. It says, This is the Chalazan, which was in the Chelek of Zvulon, the portion of Zvulon, and they used its blood to to dye the Tcheles. The Gemara Menachas is probably even more explicit. It says, one of the reasons why, or the reason why the Chilazon was expensive was because it was rare and it was produced, it was used to produce the treles. Now again, the Murex, even if you want to suggest it did produce a blue, was primarily, primarily used for purple. In fact, so much so that you can't even find its connection to blue online. Also, the vast, vast, vast majority, if not exclusively, findings of any of the archaeological sites were all purples. It was also famous as the Tyrian purple. Now, Argaman, we know, is the color purple. There's only two royal garment colors mentioned in the Torah about the Nanjus, and Argaman. By the time of the Gemara, when it discusses the value of the Chilazon, why in the world would it not mention its primary use, the argamon? Unless you say the chilazon is not the murex. Because if the chilazon is the murex, one would think the the best way to describe the value of the murex would be to say, hey, it makes Tyrian purple and will continue to do so for the next a
0: thousand years. But now we're left with one problem. If the chilazon, which is producing trellas, was not the murex, then what did the non-Jews use to produce their color. what did they use to produce their blue? Right, because the Torah clearly describes them as having treles and argamon So this, again, a basic search will find that the ancient Romans and the Greeks used the plant indigo, which again, as we said, means the blue color which comes from India. Now, this plant was a very expensive because it was being transported in, and this was the way they produced their blue garments. It was very clearly not from the murex, it was clearly from the... Indigo plant coming from India. Now, here's a quote from the website Tribunes and Triumphs under the article Colors of Roman Clothing. Now, this website is dedicated to the lifestyle and history of Roman and Roman culture. So, here's a quote The color of indigo was produced by using an expensive dye. Indigo dye held colors fast. Now, I want you to remember that because it's going to be important later. And this rich color was worn by the wealthy and should not be confused with the color blue, which was produced by using cheap blue dye obtained from plants such as woad. So we see there are two types of dyes. There was an expensive
1: plant dye known as indigo, true indigo, and there was another indigo plant that would produce a cheaper dye known as woad. Now, the reason why the woad one was cheaper is because it wasn't imported. It was commonly found everywhere and it wasn't as high quality. The imported one was from India, which is why the name indigo comes comes from indigo uh, coming from india and
0: that's why it was more expensive right the source was the indigo plant and the dye was imported from india at great expense indigo dye and its rich colors were produced by a process of fermentation filtering and finally drying into cakes of dye so we see a few things from that paragraph but important for now is that the blue color that the royalty used in the non-jewish culture was produced by the indigo plant
1: now you might say well that's fine for the non-Jews, but the Tyra calls it trelas, and seemingly trelas would mean chilazon produced dye. So trelas can't reference a plant color. To that, I would say, well, I believe you're wrong. Trelas just means a color, and I have a couple raya's for that. So, for example, the Rambam in his Perish Mishnayis and Menaches, uh, Perik Daled Mishna Aleph, and in Hilchas Tzitzis, in his Mishnah Torah. Parikh Bey's Halacha Aleph, writes that Tcheles is a color sky blue. Not all Tcheleses on Dai are kosher for titzis. He says specifically Tcheles produced from a Chilazon is kosher from titzis. There's also a strong inference that he even goes so far as to say that the Tcheles used in the Mishkan is not the same one used on the titzis, and only the one on the titzis has to be used by Tcheles. But in his Mishnah on menaches, he clearly says not all Chelas on dye is called, sorry, Chelas on wool is the Chelas of the Tzitzis. Therefore, it's a very easy extension to say not every time when the Torah calls Chelas, especially in a context of what the non Jewish kings wore,
0: does it have to mean Chilazon. It's a color, it's a name of a color, the color of sky, blue. And what I think is actually a stronger indication is actually the Ramban that they quote. To show how trellis was being used by the kings of their time, I think it's very clear that if that trellis was the trellis of Tzitzis, and we have gaonim and rishonim and medrashim saying that trellis was lost, and the Ramban is literally sitting there saying, "Hey, I know that this king is producing from the murex this trellis, but I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody in Judaism that this was the uh, that this is the of Tzitzis. This is a mitzvah der that we're missing out on. That everybody said is lost. I know that the kings are using it. Clearly, the Ramban was referring to the color." Treles, not the produced by the chilazon.
1: And then when we add in the info that historically they didn't use the imirics, they historically used the indigo to produce their blue, it all becomes very simple. The chelas in the Torah, when referencing tzitzis and perhaps the mishkan, is from the Khilazon. That's a halachic chelas. When the Torah is merely describing a color worn by the non-Jews, it doesn't have to be bound by a specific method of producing chelas, i.e. the
0: Khilazon. There were clearly other ways to produce chelas. The kelilan produced chelas. So now we firmly established that the Murex was not used historically to produce blue. Possibly it couldn't have even been used historically, but definitely wasn't used historically. Now we're going to see that the history of the Murex does not match the pattern of us losing the Chilazon.
1: So we mentioned that the Chilazon, by the latest estimates, was lost around the year 700 of the Common Era, around the Geonim period, which is following the Gemara, right? Certainly by the early Rishinim the Riff, the Rambam, it was gone. They're explicit. It was lost. Now, as we mentioned before, the Murex was the primary dying method employed by the Roman government. In fact, it was the only known uh, sea animal that they used for dying, and they used it for their Tyrian purple, and industry was huge. It was a a tremendous amount of uh, commerce for them. This was their dying industry. Now, This dyeing industry did not end till 1453 with the fall of Constantinople. Not only that, Murex fishing and dyeing with Tyrian purple are attested for in Egypt spanning all the way to the 13th century. Now, which famous figure do we know lived in Egypt between that period up till the 13th century? Well, it's the Rambam, right? Yet the Rambam and his son have no idea what the chalazan is. Now, not only that, but David Jacobi, in his book Silk Economics and Cross-Cultural Artistic Interaction, <laughs> yes, I memorized the title of that book, and read it, uh, writes that they actually found a 12th century Geniza document from Alexandria, which is in Egypt, which marks Jewish fishermen as being part of the purple sea fish trade, again, fishing and dyeing the murex. So again... The that was lost is somehow very accessible and known to the Jewish people throughout time, up until it disappeared from the non-Jews. And why is that? Well, it's very simple. The same empires that took over Israel and kicked the Jews out and took over the Murex industries in Israel are the same ones that imported it and started producing it in their own countries. So because again, the Murex is found all around the Mediterranean basin. Now, when I was speaking this over with a friend of mine who's a big believer in the Murex identification as the Chilazon, so he tried to answer up and say, well, perhaps the species of the Murex that was found near Egypt and all these places where the Rambam and the rest of the Jewish people were, maybe it was a different type of Murex. And again, not all Murexes produce the same colors. There's the hexaplus trunculus, which produces that nice purple... Bluish color, which is then easy to produce the pure blue nowadays by putting in the sun. But there's other ones that produce more reddish colors. So the more reddish colors, one wouldn't confuse with the blue. Now, the, the, first, was the Brandeis? Yeah, Trunculus. the Brandeis trunkless. Now, first of all, again, even if it's not the exact color, there was a constant production of this murex. So the Jews know the chalazin is the murex. They're going to know the chalazin is the murex even when they move to the other place. The fact that it's like a little bit of a different species, they know it's the same industry, they still wouldn't have forgot what the chelazin is. But I think a stronger point is I actually did a little bit of digging, and there's actually a study that was going through the sea sea fish that were um, fished at the time of the 10th to, to 13th century in Egypt, and the Hexapus Hexapostronculus was the primary murix species that was produced, or fished and produced at that time. So again,
0: it doesn't even work. It is exactly the same species that was in Israel. So to recap, the suggestion that the chilazon, the source of the treles, was lost into the 750s would make no sense if the murex was the chilazon. Because the murex, we had a consistent industry from basically the zero, the year zero, all the way through the year 1400, 1450. And not only that, in all the places where the Jews
1: lived. Again, the industry moved from Israel to Rome. The Jews were in Rome. It moved to the Byzantine
0: Empire. That's where the Jews were. Now, if you're paying attention, you'll remember that the suggested explanation as to why the chelazin was lost, if it was a murex, was the decree. We had so many decrees that your average person was not able to wear murex. Now,
1: before we get into the specifics of was there an actual decree against the chelazin, now, we know there was a decree against murex, but the problem is we also need to find a decree against the because if we don't find a decree in the chelazin, in fact... The fact that there are decrees against Murex would be a strong proof that the Murex is not the Chilazon unless you find commensurate decrees um, by the Chilazon. So now, but before you even get into that, a decree that common people can't use Chilazon, but only the royal emperors could and the royal family could, would not explain how the Chilazon got lost if in every country they were, there was huge industries producing it for the royal families. So I don't even buy this as a premise, but we'll get into it. But even if you want to say there was a decree and only royal families could use it, you still wouldn't lose it, right? We all know of the Secret Service, even though it's only for royal families. We didn't forget what the Secret Service is,
0: even though a common person doesn't have it. So as we mentioned, decrees against the Murics started around the year 50 BCE, Julius Caesar, the inventor of the Caesar salad, and spanned all the way through the year, well, probably into the Rambans time, where only the royalty were allowed to wear it. And these decrees were were sometimes punishable by death, sometimes punishable by torture, sometimes monetarily uh, enforced, but they were all enforced that the common people were not able to wear it. One of the emperors that we mentioned was Diclatinus, who lived in the year 250 Common Era. So he is mentioned in Jewish sources, he's mentioned in the Medrash in Bereshus Rabbah, and he's also mentioned in Yerushalmi, uh, V'aduzar, Perak, He, uh, Halacha, Gimel, Adalid, and in Shvi'as, Perak, Tes, Halacha, Beis, where it says that Diclatinus would... Um, would harass the people of Peneus. No relation. Now, many of his evils and decrees are enumerated. We find no mention of a ban against the mitzvah of Tcheles. Now, this makes no sense. If the Murex is a Chilazon, and the Chilazon is the source of the mitzvah de Ureisa, the Torah-obligated mitzvah of wearing the blue string of Tzitzis, why would the Gemara not mention this decree against wearing trelas? which basically knocked out a Mitzvah for all of Klai And if you try to say, well, it wasn't a specific decree against the Jews, it was
1: a decree against wearing, you know, anything made from the Murex. Now, again, first of all, it was only a ban on purple, but we'll forget that. Let's even pretend there was a ban on any production of, of Murex dye. Um, anybody remember Hilchus Hanukkah? So one of the reasons why we light inside is because the non-Jews banned all lights on their holidays. Now, they didn't only ban that against Jews; they banned it on any lights that is not in their temple. Yet the Gemara mentioned, and that's the reason why we had to, you know, switch up our minira, the way we practice the mitzvah of minira. There is absolutely no mention in the Gemara that we had to switch up our trelas; we had to stop wearing trelas because of the Romans making this decree against murex. Must be the decree against murex had
0: nothing to do with the decree against the chilazon. Right, now now an attempt to give a source of a Gemara which does mention a decree against Tcheles, the pro-Murex people bring the Gemara in Sanhedrin, on Yudbezim at Aleph where it mentions that there are a couple of Timinachachamim who were walking around with Tcheles, and they were very um, happy that they were saved from the Persian soldiers who captured them. Uh, now, all the mafarshim in that Gemara explain that the problem, the reason they were scared, was because they were going to be Ma'abr the Shana, they were going to uh, calculate the leap year for the new year, which was something that they had banned. And so, that's the context of the Gemara there also. Right, which is also interesting because the Gemara clearly is not shying away from decrees against doing mitzvahs. They're clear, they're talking about a decree against a mitzvah, and then they mention trelas, and they don't mention the fact that there's a decree against trelas. Right, the Gemara said they, they
1: were found with trelas. Uh, and that was part of, like, the discussion of the miracle, but it doesn't say, so what,
0: that they were found with trellis. Right. right. The only person who mentions something is the Ben-Yayad, who mentions that it's possible that there might have been a decree not to put trellis on tzitzis. Clearly a religious decree, not a, a, we need to save this for the royal family decree. Um, however, the Treles people just quote the second half as if he was suggesting that it was... A decree against wearing purple to try to match it up, but anybody with an open mind who reads Akemar and the Mafarshim there will clearly see that it was not a decree on trellis. Right, the first shot on the Benyado, which he goes with, is that trellis was
1: very valuable, um, and the fact that they it wasn't confiscated was valuable. It was a valuable object, and they were thankful that they didn't have a significant loss of money. Now, even on the the explanation of the where he says that maybe there was a decree on trellis on t'cheles. So first of all. The decree on the Murex was on all garments. There was no specific decree on trellis de cintas. But second of all, he also says maybe in that time, in that place, um, again, the Murex had banned uh, throughout the entire Roman government, uh, Roman
0: Empire, for about a thousand years. So clearly not talking about the same thing. So again, the, the little lie that's being told here by the trellis people is that the decree against your average person wearing something is tantamount to having lost the source of that thing, which is obviously ridiculous. But we actually have a medrash, uh, it's a sephrain devarim, um, which quotes that Rabbi Yaisi was astounded when he met somebody who was trapping the chilazon. He met somebody trapping the chilazon, he was, he's like, wow, is this even found? Can you find the chilazon? Now, if the chilazon was lost, which is a normal understanding, that would make sense. Oh, I didn't know the Chilazin was around. Well, well I just want to stop you there because the question is, it, the Chilazin seem to have been lost around the
1: 700. So, um, but there is significant sources suggesting it started becoming very rare. So perhaps Subyeci was saying, you know, is it common enough to make a Pernasa of uh, stole? Um Again, this was post-destruction-based uh, Mikdash where we're going to see there's a Rivash who says that the Chalazan stopped being found so easily and readily available, or at least it didn't even come up once in many years after the destruction-based Mekdash. The, of Rit-vas. the Rit-vas, sorry, the Ratzvahs, not the, the, Rit-vas, the, Rit-vas, not the, right. not the Um So it's a little unclear exactly what he means, but certainly, and that's a free, the heavily uh, Mashmais is that it's a object which has been either lost or not commonly found
0: anymore. Right, as opposed to the Murex, which has millions and millions of Murex in production throughout those thousand years, even if it was just for the royal class, it was clearly something that was trapped and found and everybody knew about it. And, and not only that, the production was a paid work,
1: meaning even if the wearing of it was only for the royal family, it wasn't the royal family who was involved in the production. If that was a paid job, it makes a lot of sense why there would be somebody who would say, oh yeah, my Pernasa is from the Khilazon if the Chilazun was Murex. I assume they hired tons of workers. In okay. the fact, the Rabiesu was so so astounded that there could be anybody who made a Pernasa off the chlosson, must be at that point...
0: The Chalazin wasn't found. The Murex was. Right. Now, just come at this with an open mind. If you have 700 years of Jewish history where the Murex was right there, everybody knew the Murex was right there, there was just a ban on it, would the conception that it was completely lost and and the losing of the Chalazin, would that have ever happened over a 700-year period of the production of the Murex right in Jewish communities? I don't think anybody can look at that and say, yeah, it's possible it got lost. And especially,
1: it's not even like they mention, oh, by the way, it's that fish that the Roman government makes all their garments out of, we just can't access it because they don't allow us. That would be an easy way to identify it. So, you know, as soon as the times of Gullus turn and the Roman Empire is no 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 longer in power, they would have access to Chlozen anymore. If you suggest that they just let it disappear because it was the decree, even though it was a commonly known fish, not only that, the only fish used in this dyeing of Tyrian purple... um that would just be negligence on the on the hands of our Bali Masara. It's like they almost wanted the khilazan to disappear from our, our life. It wasn't that hard
0: to keep track of it. So, so far we have the Murex did not historically produce blue. It may not have been able to produce blue. There's no mention of a decree against the khilazan while there was a major mention of decree against the Murex. And perhaps most importantly, the Murex was never lost. Now. The Murex is not sounding like a great candidate, if we're going to be honest, but let's let's go for a few more questions. So one of the proofs we brought was that the Chilazon is located in the same areas as the Murex is located. The Gemara tells us the Chilazon is found between Haifa and Sor, and so is the Murex. We said that the Pasuk identifies as being either in Cyprus or Italy, and the Murex is also identified as being there. So first of all, it's quite possible that these two sea creatures, the Chilazon and the Murex, were both found in similar locations. It's possible that the characteristics of the water which attract the chilazon also attract the Murex. But, unfortunately for the Murex people, the Murex is actually found all over the coasts of the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean, along the coasts of Europe and Africa. Spain, Portugal, Morocco, Azoros, Canary Islands. In fact, they actually recently found them in Mexico, also. So those places aren't mentioned by the Gemara. So yes, if something is found all across the coast, it will match the two coastal places which the chilazon is set to right. Down. It would
1: be much stronger if there were two locations in Ben-Ghazal and the miracle was only found in those two locations. It would be like saying like, well, maybe the chilazon is a tree because trees are also found in Italy and Israel. <laughs> yeah, well, they're also found everywhere
0: else in the world. Right, and we brought the psukim in Yehaskul, which identified the as or the treles, as being produced in Italy and Cyprus, Italy or Cyprus, which, by the way, again, the murex is produced in both. The pasuk wasn't implying it's produced in both. It was implying one or the other. Right. Um, so that, that's also a pretty weird read. But, but the treles mentioned over there is not necessarily produced by the chelazon. In, in fact, fact, none of the Farsham say it was the chelazon. Right, <laughs> because, again, treles is a color. Treles is the color blue, light blue, dark blue. So all, the, all that
1: possibly could have meant is that the garments colored in chelas, made from indigo plant, made from woad, whatever it's made from, came from Yecheskel. It does not say anywhere the Khilazon,
0: Sorry, it came, came from Italy.
1: It doesn't say anywhere the Chilazone came from Italy.
0: So, you know. Not, not at all a source that the Murex is the Khilazon. Now we brought linguistic proofs that the Murex is the Khilazon, So we said that perfora was the word for the murex trunculus, was the word for that snail. And Chazal used perfora as describing uh, royal garments, including trellis royal garments. Now, why would they do that? So according to what we are just saying, it's obvious why they would do that. Because throughout their entire uh, stint, and throughout the 500 years of the Gemara, royal garments were the only garments that were allowed to be purple. So they identified royal garments with the word of the snail that produced the royal garments of purple which in, was the Murex. In fact, this is clear
1: from the Madrashim, The Medrashim are not calling the chilazon porphyra. They're calling royal garments porphyra because, again, royal garments were produced in purple and, therefore, you could even cause, call the snail that the royal garments was produced from, primarily, the purple, the porphyra also. This has nothing to do with the chilazon. In fact, the Major sometimes calls it a porphyra shell t'cheles, which, again, obviously implies porphyra is not the chilazon. It just means it's a royal garment. Royal garments come in the color t'cheles, And like we said, not all trellis is produced by
0: the chilazon. Now, in regard to the Septuagint, using the translation of trellis as porphyrus, which seems to imply that maybe trellis was this, uh, well, really a purple color, but okay, coming from the Murex. So, so They don't even want to say it's a purple color. They want to say porphyrus over there means
1: chilazon produced dye. It could also just as easily just mean the blue color. Because, again, the borrowing of terms by the royal garments, and they produce their royal garments with the blue. Nobody says anything about the chilazon Trelas again is a color the fact that chazal identified as being produced chilazon has nothing to do with the translation of the word treles
0: right so it hurts like in his thesis the uh hebrew porphyrology on page 78 so he raises this issue and he dismisses it he points out that everywhere else including in that same chapter the septuagint uses ikinthos for treles and perfora for argaman argaman obviously is purple and the perfora was a purple color and he shows that the Hebrew text they must have been given could not have matched our Masoretic tradition of having the word treles in that one instant. Because every time, every other time treles is used, they use a blue color as a translation. And this one time they use a purple, and trelas people are like, oh, uh, the purple means the murex, because murex produces purple, but also blue. And therefore the Septuagint is saying that trelas is is the thing that produces the purple, the murex. Great raya, great proof. Now, just, just as a side, this is all assuming the
1: Septuagint matters. Okay, so let me just point out something very quickly. The the translation everywhere else in this obtusion for treles is aicinthus, which is referencing the color Hyacinth, which is a flower, and you can just look it up online, Google it, Hyacinth flower, right, which is actually a violet color. Again, it's a purple-blue. It's almost it's almost more leaning towards purple than blue. In Armasyra, treles is not purple-blue. Treles is sky-blue in Armasyra. So... Now, you're going to ask, well, how did the Septuagint come out with that color? Well, I'll tell you very simply how the Septuagint came out with that color. The Septuagint is a book that was translated by the Chum once upon a time, a Chomish that was translated into Greek by the Chum. Now, we never found that original translation. That's one copy. Nobody know who knows where that is. Septuagint references any Bible they found in that time period from the Greeks, who knows how many times it was translated over, and who knows who changed it in the Greeks. The fact that the Greeks translate tcheles as violet-purple and argamon as, as purple-purple could be because they assumed both of them were made from the murex, and the murex does make only purple, a blue, and real purple, which is another proof that it's not the chilazon. In other words, the fact that the Greeks translate an item, and we're using that as a Jewish source for the color of tcheles, how it's produced halachically in Chazal, is wild what, the Greeks all of a sudden have access to Hermesera? They could
0: translate it whatever way they want. So for this episode, we've gone through what we think is the strongest academic proofs that the Murex is a Chilazon, and giving you a little more information and context to let you make an informed decision as to whether you think the Murex is actually the Chilazon. For the next episode, we're going to be going through Chazal's description of the Chilazon, and seeing how that matches the Murex. Now, if you think the academic record's did not match the Chilazan to the Murex. Just wait until we get to the Gemara's description.
1: Now, a lot of the problem of the with these Murex conversations is most people listening um, to Shurim on the Murex or being convinced by the psilt Institute or any one of the other institutions don't generally have access to the academic research that the psiltreos institute has and therefore they can literally sell you anything like we demonstrated with their proofs um they can pretend that it produced the blue they can pretend that the decrees were specifically against you know trailus um and i think that's that's the unique aspect of what we're doing here is is both me and mati have have a bit of a background um in being able to access academic research and academic texts and archaeological uh findings um, and we don't have a bias, so we're just trying to give you the the truth as it is. Uh, I had to read probably over a hundred pages of academic jargon on the uh, production of of sea fish, you know, purple sea fish, uh, which I can tell you was not exciting, fascinating, read. But I do it for you, the listeners. You know, I want you to be able to make an informed decision whether Murex is the chilazon. Um, And I think at the, at least from this aspect of it, the uh, scientific aspect of it, it certainly does not seem to match up in any sort of way. And again, like we said, like you said, Mati, next episode we will be dealing with the Chazal's description and see if that matches up, but uh, I think you won't be surprised that it does not at all. I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this
0: is Jewish Thought Flow. If you feel like we missed any sources, misread, or misrepresented any of the proofs, please reach out to us at jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com.